let's get our good friend, Mr. Al Bat, on the phone now because he's anxiously awaiting to hear from us. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Yeah, I've been outvoted six, seven times. So <laughs> uh, now, usually you are a, an election official some, somehow. Are you doing that this year or are you not? I, I am on the ballot, so... Oh, you are? What are you running yeah. for, Al? I'll, I'll vote uh, for you. For governor? <laughs> governor, I'll bet. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That oof, that would be a scary thought there. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm not on the primary, but I'm on the general. And, you know, you hire election judges, and it just makes no sense for me. If uh, these fine folks are willing to, and enjoy working at it, why should I work at the primary and then not be able to work at the general? So are you running for a commissioner job or a soil and water Oh, no, yeah, town clerk, once oh. again. What yeah. does a town clerk do? I don't even know. Everything. The <laughs> whole world revolves around what a town clerk does. And really? I know there's a, there's one town clerk probably at least listening now who's nodding and saying, yes, that is right. <laughs> uh, we make, uh, we help, uh, well, of course, anytime you're a clerk, it deals with uh, getting things paid and taking care of bills and making sure the minutes and things are posted and published and all the kind of things that we, uh, in keeping the history of the organization or uh, the government aid as we do here. So it's uh, anytime you're a clerk, it involves endless paperwork. Uh, paperwork. Yeah, and <laughs> I remember going to meetings Oh, 30 years ago, maybe, where they said we are headed towards a paperless society. Uh, you know, now we can we make copies of everything and save it. So you just uh, have to do that. But uh, and the town, you know, takes care of the roads and fire department and uh, all those kind of wonderful things. Make sure the snow is removed and the roads are in good shape. So it's uh, I'm I'm proud of it. You know, we all bellyache about what we do because that's part of being a human so i i try not to ever whine about it but i'm sure on occasion because <laughs> i'm a man i have whined about that position and if i have i don't mean to because i'm very proud to have the have the position well good luck are you unopposed or do you have big competition in the election i, I am unopposed okay. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're not real worried about the write-ins coming in well, of course I'm worried, you know, that uh, we are, yeah. It's a nail-biter, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's, I'm just proud to be on that board. So. Before I forget, um, my lovely wife Gail showed me a photo that you had taken of a monarch butterfly. Oh, not and just a monarch butterfly. I have. We have a lot of monarch butterflies. Did she show you all those? She just showed me one. She only gives me things on a need-to-know basis, <laughs> so, you know, she doesn't want to fill my mind with, uh, oh, I got the election and everything, you know, she's just trying to make it easy on me. But right under that monarch butterfly is one of my favorite insects in the whole wide world. I've taken a, a bazillion photos of them, and I'll end up uh, just this this summer, and I'll end up saving one of them, because I save one each year. <laughs> one bug a year. A, a goldenrod soldier beetle. Wait, I thought it was a box elder bug. Nope. Oh, it, I'm, it, I you, labeled it wrong. Thank you for So it's a goldenrod, what do you call it again? It's a goldenrod soldier beetle, and oh. she didn't show me a label or anything, so I'm unaware. She just said, look at this. Isn't this nice? Karen took this. Maybe you should mention it. And then she <laughs> said, look at this. What is that? And I said, that's a goldenrod soldier beetle. Oh. Well, you should bring that up. I think I got that almost word for word. So. Okay. It's a uh, 
some people call them, uh, I was out east once, and somebody said, well, that's a Pennsylvania leather wing. Well, I thought that was, you know, maybe part of a motorcycle group or something, a Pennsylvania leather wing. But here they are, goldenrod uh, soldier beetles or goldenrod beetles. Uh, the larva of this beetle is carnivorous, and it oh. eats a lot of things that we want to be eaten. They are wonderful, wonderful insects to have in a yard or in a garden. The adults, they're just, uh, oh, they, they're on flowers, and they're getting nectar and things from the flowers. So the beetles don't uh, eat anything well, other than that. See, I've had all those Japanese beetles on my hydrangeas, in, or not hydra my um, hibiscus, and so I assume that they were, now that the Japanese beetles are kind of lessening, all of a sudden it's covered with these, you call them the golden rod soldier beetle now it's covered with that and they're all breeding and i i've been trying to drown them too because i thought they were bad (laughs) oh yeah no and i think everybody does because we'll see so many of them on flowers we're thinking well that can't be good they're doing some they're up to something but they are uh they feed on uh, pollen and nectar is what the adults oh, are. Good to know because then I won't um, hurt any more of them because I was saying, telling my son, oh, now we got rid of the Japanese beetles. Now there's these, I thought they were box elder bugs and I thought they were making holes in the, the flowers as well, but apparently those were leftovers from the Japanese beetles. And I don't know how you describe them, but they have a black head and they're sort of a, I don't know, a tannish. I was going to say it's kind of orangish tan with a black dot on their head and then they got two black spots on their rear, kind of. They have two racing stripes yes. kind of going with the body towards the yes. rear. And and they're fairly good-sized insects. And I I think they are one of the most beautiful creatures. I just, I, like I say, I get my camera out there and I take, I don't know how many pictures I take of them, and then I go in and, of course, delete them all. <laughs> the next day I try again Do until I get that one good one, and then I save it. And so I, I don't know how many years of goldenrod soldier beetles I have, one photo per year. But I, so how does a box elder bug look different? See, I thought for some reason in my mind I had that this is the time of year they come out, but are they maybe not out yet? I'm, I saw a bunch of uh, young ones that okay. looked like little uh, red dots oh. the other day, so on the side of a building, so I, I don't imagine it'll be too long. And um, our box elder bugs are, uh, to me, it's a red. Some people oh, say it was okay. kind of an orange red, and then they're black. And I think they're really beautiful insects as well. Do they harm anything, too, or are they? Oh, yeah, they, uh, they will chew up some of our, well, box elder trees, but oh. it's so found on maple and ash trees. So they're, uh, they can cause a little damage, but I, I don't think it's really that much. Um, I just don't think they do that much damage because anybody that has a box elder tree, if you're looking at it, if you have somebody come over, they say, well, your tree is dying. And we'll say, no, it's a box elder. It, they look like that all the time. <laughs> yeah, in other words, it's a, a bad tree. Don't even don't have it in your yard, I say. Well, and they never die. They just keep going. They and just breaking turn. off on your house. That's what we had on the farm. We had this box elder tree next to the house. And the, the branches, it's kind of a weaker tree, I believe. And, and then a one branch, clonk on the house on the roof. And then another one, clonk. But they'd keep growing. Yeah. That was and we've all had a uh, great aunt or uncle like that, probably, too. You know, I remember <laughs> as a little boy, we'd all have to hop in the car because great aunt was dying. And we'd go down and get her, and 
And she, uh, you know, Jeez. she seemed fine. We come home, and then in a couple of months, she'd say, "Well, she's going this time," and we go down there, and she's feeding us all lunch. So, I, I guess a box elder tree is sort of like that. It's just we all say, "Well, I'm going to have to cut that tree down." And and uh, you're right. A lot of people don't like them. Some people actually get maple syrup on them. It takes a lot of sap to get much. But uh, box elder bugs are. Uh, they they will suck on the leaves of trees, but I think they prefer to eat the seeds of those trees. Well, which and is fine they, with me. That's a good thing. Yeah, and then they overwinter, of course, and plant debris or in our house or garage or shed or something like that. We will see a lot of them. It's a beautiful day. Uh, I was out um, early this morning, and it, oh, it was so nice. It was before the world had fully awakened, and it, you know the day was as quiet as a sack of whispers. Uh, each and every day, no matter where I am, I'm overwhelmed with joy at the opportunity to see and hear the things I see and hear. And a single hour unmoored, which allows me to go for a walk, just brings all these natural surprises, delights in discovery. And I was taught to search for these things by a family that repeatedly said, you never know. I'd always come in, I saw this. Well, you never know. We're all on a short runway. Uh, everybody, if I, I, I'm not good at giving advice because I don't, men aren't good at taking advice, so why should we give it? But Take time to be amazed today. Uh, the new will become familiar, and if you look longer, the familiar will become new. And then I'll step down from my soapbox. Uh, Martha Kofstad of New Ritzland spotted a moth hovering like a hummingbird around flowers. That's a white line sphinx moth, sometimes called a hummingbird moth. It's probably two and a half to maybe three and a half inches long. And it's active from July to September. I talked to a fairgoer who had seen a luna moth. And this green moth has a four-inch wingspan, and it's pretty much done flying. Uh, well, it is. May and June is when it's in the air, and it spends its days hanging beneath leaves that it resembles. And at that same fair, I saw a giant ichneumon wasp. This wasp, I would guess it was seven inches long. Now, before somebody faints because I said there's a wasp seven inches long, the body makes up about two inches. And then it has this long, narrow thing coming out of the abdomen. And it's a, it was five inches long. And it was an ovipositor. And the ovipositor isn't a stinger. It's used to lay eggs in a tree into the larvae of a pigeon horntail wasp. And that larva is a wood borer. And giant ichneumon wasps, they, they don't sting. And I'm not even sure if they're even capable. I, I, I'm, I know the males would not be, but I'm not sure if the females are. I watched a yellow-bellied sapsucker. There, yes, there is a band called the yellow-bellied sapsuckers, of course. And I saw this one in northern Minnesota here a little while ago. And this is the ones that we get down here that drills tiny holes in neatly spaced rows and tree bark, especially maples and hickories. And then it returns periodically to feed on the sap that oozes from them. It also eats bits of tree tissues as well as insects attracted to the sap. It fly catches and eats fruits and berries as well. 
the holes they make are often mistaken for insect damage, but holes made by insects have fewer, smaller holes, more randomly placed. And sap suckers do not suck sap, despite their name. They lick up sap like a, like a young me attacking a stirring spoon in my mom's kitchen. Uh, silver, as you travel around now, silver is the right word to describe a silver maple because even a light wind causes the tree to display the silvery undersides of its leaves. In late summer, boy, I'm seeing this now, trees, shrubs, and fences have become festooned with crowns of fragrant yellowish-white flowers. The leaves and individual flowers look like those of cucumbers, and this is the wild cucumber. It's a native annual plant that produces spiny fruit. Its preferred habitat is along streams, swamps, moist thickets, and roadsides, and that's where we see them. Uh, the large alternate leaves are palmate and usually have like five-pointed lobes. The branching vines will grow to 30 feet long, climbing onto other foliage with curling three-forked tendrils that arise from the leaf axis. Uh, the tendrils coil when they touch anything and then wrap around it and become attached. And my yard has been well supplied now with red admiral butterflies. Some believe the name originated in England as Red Admirable and was corrupted to Red Admiral. Uh, plants of the nettle family, including everybody's buddy, the stinging nettle, are hosts for the caterpillar. Uh, Wayne Griffith of Albert Lee asked, how many young do trumpeter swans have? Well, the big birds have clutches of four to nine eggs. Uh, the young are called cygnets. Bonita Underbaki of Lanesboro described a spider web in her yard to me. She said it's it's got all this uh, zigzag striping on it. And uh, the spiders that make... Uh, certain zigzag patterns on web are known as, oh gosh, they've got so many names, Argeope, some people say Argeope, uh, black and yellow garden spider, signature spider, writing spider. Uh, they have a lot of different names. They weave these zigzag stripes into a web, and it's... Why do they do that? You know, the spiders aren't telling anybody. It's called stablementa. And it's probably for visibility, maybe to attract a mate, attract a prey, or or maybe just stability of the web. And if you see one of these, we always have one in the garden. They're just so beautiful. And if you look up in the corner, maybe on the web, you'll see this tiny little spider that looks really nervous. And this would be the male. He's looking for an opportunity, and uh, she will more than likely eat him. So he has reason to be nervous. Uh, they're really pretty to see. So thanks for bringing that up, Bonita. I I, I got asked this at one of the fairs I was at, and it said, "Are ants required for flowers of peonies to open?" Now, if you're around my age or some, you know. Yeah, maybe 25, 30 years younger, you've probably been told, yeah, they, they won't open if those ants aren't on there. Well, the ants are there to harvest the sweet nectar provided by the budding flowers. They'll open, right, anyway? They, I mean, All by themselves. Yeah, that's what and, I thought. But when we were kids, we always thought that, too, was kind of a myth that was perpetuated, I think, for a long time. Oh, everybody told me that. And they do they help? Maybe they do a little bit by, they might, 
you know, knock off or keep away some bad insects from the flowers, but it'd be unintentional because they're just, they're, they're farmers, so they're there to harvest that nectar. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee said on Friday, as I turned uh, onto Front Street in beautiful Albert Lee, my wife Marie shouted, Rick, look out for the deer crossing First Avenue. He was neither kidding nor nuts. A young doe with four little fawns following her within a few feet of the railroad tracks, a stone's throw from Quick Drip. We saw one, everything is a stone throw from Quick Drip now. You know, <laughs> That's right. Uh, he said, we saw one fawn returning from whence it came as we were returning later heading south. It was clearly sniffing out the same path it had taken with the other three deers. They were heading east shortly uh, before. Do does give birth to quads, or do they perhaps adopt stray fawns that have become abandoned or lost their mothers? We are hoping that none of them uh, were hit by a train. If could I, could I perhaps believe in miracles? Well, of course you can believe in miracles. Uh, there, Rick, there have been observations of quadruplets, but oh boy, there. I don't know how many extremes I could put in front of the word rare. Uh, what you saw could be evidence of an adoption, which happens uh, sometimes, not always, or maybe just a doe's daycare. Uh, people have sent me photos of uh, doe with all these young ones around, and she appears to be the only one there. So I'm, I'm figuring the other ones are off doing something, just having a doe's day out or something. It's like that poor duck that had 76 ducklings behind it. Was that a duck, yeah. uh, the duck daycare, too, that it was able to take care of that many? I think there's a, a law that you have to have a certain ratio of, of uh, adults to, to, to little ones. It is, and it, what is so amazing is you figure, my answer it's a fairly good-sized bird. It could maybe incubate 20 eggs. That would be that would be really pushing it to get 20 under there. So to end up with 76 babies, I think she got them every way she could. Uh, Dan Borland of Albert Lee said he had 17 wood duck babies jump out of a tree in his yard. Oh. Uh, Jeannie Hansen, uh, she and her husband Bob live out at Beaver Lake. She said, do American white pelicans nest on Albert Lee Lake? Uh, they do not. They, You know, they like um, an island, and there's not one there. Uh, Stan Fitz of Rockford, Iowa, sent me this photo, and he said, this was on our front door about eye level at 10 p.m. What is it? It uh, looks like it'd be a gray tree frog, because I'm just seeing the underbelly parts of it. And they get on our screens and our windows and things because they feed on insects attracted by the light. And this frog is capable of changing colors like a chameleon, so they're really cool. Uh, ben in Mankato said there hasn't been a single orca whale born in the past three years because salmon are gone. Recently an orca had a baby, it died, and she wouldn't let it go for 17 days. Yeah, that was in the news. There was a big story about that. Did you, did you see that? I, I read it in the, in the paper and heard about it on the radio. Yeah. And I got an uh, email from a friend who lives in uh, British Columbia about it. Yeah, she kept pushing it towards the surface, like you know, you've got to go up and get air or something here. And this is, um, oh, let's see, it's the southern resident 
I believe, population, southern resident. And it's a Pacific coast off northwestern U.S. and Canada. And the females belong to this pod, and there's about 75 members of this pod there. And they've not had a successful birth in three years. Wow. In the last 20 years, only 25% of the babies have survived. Now, most killer whales will eat a wider diet, but this particular group of, I say, about 75 resident orcas eats just salmon. In that area, salmon have been overfished for commercial consumption. Oh, we all like salmon. And man-made contraptions like hydroelectric power sources block the salmon's path to release eggs. So there's a lot fewer salmon. So it's that one group there. It's a small group, but it's not going to get much bigger unless something changes. No young in three years. And uh, also, Ben said last year a gorilla had a baby and wouldn't let it go for weeks. Uh, Mammals have empathy. Oh, man, do they ever. And anybody who's had a pet or anything certainly knows that. They they suffer loss. They mourn. They have uh, feelings that uh, we have no idea what kind of feelings they have, but we we know they have a lot of the same feelings that we have. Uh, Ron Erpelding of Wilmer, Milt Blomberg of Holdingford, Bob Williams of Bloomington, and uh, your inkstained scribe here, uh, went out to Freeborn, Freeborn Lake together out to Arrowhead Park. And uh, I marveled with those three guys as we saw marble godwit, Franklin's gulls. Uh, Franklin's gulls were everywhere. I think they're still probably my favorite gull. Many pectoral sandpipers and what I believe had to be a short-billed dowager. So it was great spending time with Ron, Milton, Bob there, wonderful fellas. And they, um, they, they almost treat me like a human, which, you know, <laughs> you don't get that everywhere. So. Uh, the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah is this Saturday. Oh, this Saturday already. Wow, it's time yeah. is moving. Summer's going. Oh, boy, is it ever. And I, I can't say a nice, enough nice things about this uh, special event. It's, and Henderson is beautiful. Oh, I love going to Tootie's and getting an ice cream cone or something. It's just a perfect place to be. In this event, uh, the Hummingbird Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah will take place uh, Saturday, August 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's free, which is a cool thing. It's free, and it's a lot of fun. And also, it's for the entire family. There will be birds, bees, butterflies, and blooms, hummingbird banding. I was explaining this to a friend. I said, well, I'm going over there, going to ban hummingbirds. And I could see that little cartoon bubble above his head. Because <laughs> if you look at a, a guy long enough, you can see that cartoon bubble. They actually form. And he's thinking like a wedding ring size or class ring maybe around this little thing. And I think he's probably thinking, well, they put it over its head or what do they do? Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how small those hummingbird bands that they put around their legs are. But if you come over there, you can watch it, and it's just a really neat thing. There will be speakers, educational booths, a lot of children's activities, garden tours. Uh, Master gardeners will be there. Uh, So I hope to see you there. I'll be speaking sometime in the afternoon, so it's always fun. do red-tailed hawks mate for life? Well, mated pairs are monogamous, and they usually stay together for life. But if something happens to one, uh, they're going to find uh, the surviving member will usually find another mate. 
Uh, red tails will incubate up to, well, it's one to five eggs probably. seems the ones I see are usually a couple birds that come off the nest. Uh, for 28 to 35 days, and then they remain in the nest for until oh, they're 42 to 46 days old, somewhere around in there. And I saw one um, perched right in the middle of the road the other day, a young one, and um, I honked at him. And, and then the other day, my wife were going, and here here he was in the middle of the road again. So I don't know if he doesn't stop that foolishness. I, I don't, uh, you know, it, it could be a bad future for him. But I, it's like all we just say, well, boy, I hope he outgrows that habit. That's I just hope he outgrows that. So he's a beautiful bird, but he his choice of perching would be better served on a branch than in the middle of a highway. So, Al, I've got a couple listener questions for you, and I'm not sure if you guys, I did email this, but maybe you didn't catch this one. It was from Rich in Mankato. He said, the cicadas are loud this time of year. Does it take a lot of cicadas to sing this out, or is it just a few? Thanks, Rich Mankato. Rich, uh, great question, and uh, yes to both of those. Uh, it uh, sometimes when I'm outside doing a bunch of work, you keep hearing this all the time, and it gets pretty loud after a while. But if you have a lot of them, they can be very loud. And we do not have the periodical cicadas here, but you get to much of the rest of the country. There, it's numbers. There are so many of them, it's just piercing. I was leading a walk around Washington, D.C. with a, a fellow that was much more familiar with everything there, and I don't know what I... I was like a co-leader that just kind of walked along and carried water bottles and things. But we would stop, and then uh, they would ask me some nature questions about the cicadas. Well, we'd get under some of those trees. We were unable to <laughs> Couldn't talk. hear anything. <laughs> no, it was, there was no point. We had to an- wait to answer the questions until we were a ways away from those trees because how, they were so loud. And those are the 13 to 17 years. How period. long can they can they do that without, I don't know if they take a breath or, or what they do, but sometimes it seems they just go on and on and on. I mean, I'm just wondering if there's a, a record. Do they do it for, you know... Um, yeah, I don't know. They, like the Cicada Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, they can just go on and on and on and on. And I I think the only limiting factor that I've noticed is temperature. When wow. it gets older, then they um, they they stop singing because it's, well, it's just too cold. And I suppose it sounds like they're shivering. So, As opposed but, to us where it starts to get cold, we just start complaining more and louder. <laughs> yeah, we, and put on more clothes. And, and But, uh, yeah, and they just shut up. And uh, it, it's I like hearing them. And, uh, again, when I was a kid, um, people called them locusts. And uh, they're not. They're are, not. Related. They're not the same as a locust in the the Bible stories, are they? No. Because no, those were grasshoppers. Are those the same as grasshoppers or different? Yeah. Oh, they are. What I think. What did somebody tell me one day? An entomologist, and I hope I got this right. That all locusts are grasshoppers, but not all grasshoppers are locusts. Huh. I, oh, maybe I've got that wrong. You can look what, it up and check yeah, it for. Folks, ne- yeah. Don't. Uh, don't. Take that as gospel, what I just said, because it, it's been quite a few years, and at the time I just thought, wow, that is so cool. I'm going to remember that forever, but obviously <laughs> I'm not doing that. So. Say, I've got a, a postcard just to, in the mail today from our friend John in New Ulm that has, you know, he, t- he uh, chatted, he had a long letter that you talked with Gully about, I think, last week when I was gone. But he did say, you know, he said, Gully and you talked about ravens, 
that have not been documented in Brown County. And he says, maybe. And I thought uh, that could be crow. He said, ravens are two to almost three times the size of a crow. He says, sometimes I, sometime I will try to get a photo so some people will eat crow. <laughs> and he says, and yes, on August 2nd, he said, I saw a raven on the stoplight at South Broadway by Hy-Vee and Burger King in New Ulm. He says, by the time I thought I could take the photo, it flew into a tree. It was the second sighting in that area. So that's what John was, was saying. So he wants you to eat crow. So I'm, we're, we're waiting for you, John. Yeah, you bet. I'll happily eat crow, John. And, and I, you know, I get to New Ulm a lot. So I, I do look, and I have looked, John. I just, I can't find it. It's an interesting thing, and when you get... Uh, interactions between crows and ravens. The crows will typically chase the ravens, even really? though they're, yep, even though they're they're smaller. They're just uh, appear to be more aggressive, at least when it comes to interactions between those two. So. John also had a comment that he just texted me. He says, "I'm not sure if you heard about the cougar sighting by um, in the park area in New Ulm. An animal can get. They got a picture of it. Uh, I guess on some. I don't know if it was an animal cam or something." Uh, I, I think I maybe heard about that, too, a cougar sighting, and I don't know how common those are to be in our southern Minnesota. Do you? Uh, much more common since uh, trail cameras became oh. popular. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we have a lot more. Um, when everybody became armed with a camera, uh, two things really changed, uh, UFO and big foot sightings went away <laughs> and we get a lot more sightings of cougars because ah. uh, we're just able because they're out there at night a lot and we're able to get uh, photos of them so should we be afraid of them or you know what is what is the thought on that because i know they they're carnivores and they're wild animals so what is the concern level i i'd give them uh you know they're probably not going to bother you too much but if, if i saw one i'd sure give it a wide berth <laughs> i wouldn't i'd let it be that the ones that are usually traveling through is what the dnr tells me anyway is that they're usually young males who have been um, driven out of territory by older males and they're just looking for a place i think a few years ago one was hit by a car in connecticut and it was from south dakota oh so they uh, they just keep moving uh, like Jack Kerouac until they find some place where they feel at home and and uh, sadly in this case it was on the front end of a car is where it uh, found home. Well, John, I await your photo as always, and we're always great to hear from you. I hope everyone will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of You know, I've coached, um, but... Anymore, I know so little about coaching that if someone knows nothing about coaching, I know even less than that. But I, I was in Chicago, and I gave a basketball coach what I hoped would be a useful line. They are bigger than we are. They might be better than we are, but they are going to be very unhappy when we beat them. And he used it, and his team won. <laughs> his team was very athletic, but there are athletes everywhere. I asked my UPS, he's my UPS driver, yeah, he's everybody's he's UPS driver. He's your personal one, personal driver. Yeah, he just comes for me <laughs> and brings out one package a month. Uh, how many miles he 
put on each day? I'm always curious about that. You see him driving, you say, I wonder how many miles. He told me approximately 180. Now, next time I see him, I'm going to ask how many times he stopped. But I did <laughs> ask if he had a fitness tracker to keep track of his steps. And he replied that he had a little thing on his cell phone that would do that, an app. And each day his cell phone told him that he'd climbed seven flights or of stairs or more, all from getting in and out of his van. And I thought a step class is taught at some of the fitness centers around, and the step is a 4-inch to 12-inch platform. A participant steps up, around, and down from the step in different patterns to boost heart rate and breathing and strengthen muscles. Well, this UPS driver, what a good, he gets paid and gets to take a step class at the same time. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company. Thanks, everyone, for listening to KMSU. Hey, thanks, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Happy bird watching. And are you going to be at the Hummingbird Hurrah, perhaps? I sure am, speaking there in the afternoon. All right. This weekend, Henderson, what time? Oh, golly. He, um, he doesn't know. <laughs> no, I just, 